All right. Well, I first want to start off. My name is Derek Bekeisen. Um I am not a preacher. I am a teacher. So I teach at the public school. So um, I like to tell stories, typically. And um, that's how I relate a lot of times to my students is by telling stories. So I'm going to tell you some stories um, about me, especially growing up. Um, but I get to, I, I have the privilege of serving you as your head elder um, here at Arise. Um, I am married to Aaron, who most of you know. Yes, and I am the father to Jace and Micah and Carson and now Cece. So if you haven't seen her, she's running around and she ran out with the other kids. Um, so I have that fun privilege. I want you to know that I feel called to teach at the public school, uh, specifically in the public school. So I teach music. I teach high school band at Sheboygan Falls High School, and I love it. I love it um, all the time, although as we look to going back to school right now, I'm not ready yet. So even though I love it, I still am not ready. Um, but I love spending time with the kids, getting to know them and, and seeing where they're at. Um, the calling I feel is that music is an avenue to teach them about life and really what life is all about. Um, so like I said, I love it. Like I said, some of you know me really well. Some of you like know of me and have seen me around. And some of you probably don't know me at all. Uh, so today, I, I'd just like you to know a little bit more of who I am, uh, my journey to where I am now, and then kind of into where that all fits as we are, and where we're going with Arise Church. So I grew up in Orange City, Iowa, uh, a farming community, a very Dutch community. I think if you were to go there right now, you would see that every car, almost every car is in a church parking lot right now. And all of those cars are clean because they've all been washed on the Saturday before Sunday because that's an expectation. Um, it's, the lawns are nicely mowed and manicured. In fact, mowing your lawn to a certain length is actually part of the town rules and code that's in Orange City. So it's a very nice community. Like I said, it's a very Dutch community. It's very safe. I loved growing up there. From the time I was in kindergarten, I could get on my bike and ride across town and hang out with friends, uh, go to baseball, and do whatever we wanted all throughout the town because it was safe. Uh, I went to the Christian elementary school, and then in sixth grade or seventh grade, I moved over to the public school. However, I referred to our public school there as the Christian public school. And the reason I say that is because I had teachers that would pray with us during class at the public school. Um, we would pray before music concerts. We would pray before athletic events. It was a normal thing. We had Bible studies in the school, led by teachers, um, which was kind of different. And like I said, it was safe. Um, I went to Dover Avenue Alliance Church from the time I was born, basically, until the time I left college, um, where I attended Awana. I was in youth group. Uh, Sunday school, we went to church twice on Sundays, and I played in the brass group every Sunday morning for our hymns. So I love hymns, um, and I love playing music. Um, I had a lot of friends there, and I, there were a lot of people there who truly wanted me to know who Jesus was. Um, at, at some point, around the age of five or before, and I remember the age because at five years old we moved into a different house, and it was in our old house that this happened, um, I remember that I had gotten in trouble. I had done something wrong. I don't remember what that was. 
All I remember is that I sat on the toilet and my mom sat on the bathtub and we talked about who Jesus was and what he did for my sins. And at that point, I prayed the prayer to invite Jesus into my heart. So we talked, like I said, right there. I also want you to know um, Sundays were definitely Sabbath days. Okay, so I couldn't get a job where I had to work on Sundays. We didn't work on Sundays. We didn't mow the lawn. That all had to be done on Saturday. Um, I couldn't get gas on Sundays. So when I was driving, if I didn't go to the Casey's General Store on Saturday to fill my vehicle with gas, then I had to walk or ride bike on Sunday if I couldn't go somewhere because of the gas. Uh, we didn't go to restaurants. I, even, I couldn't even do homework on Sundays. That wasn't allowed. So in this setting... In this setting, appearance was everything. How it appeared on the outside was everything to us and the entire community. So if you hide your junk indoors, nobody gets to see it, right? It's still there, just nobody sees it. An example of this is people even put um, drains, which are more common now, but drains were put in garages for the sole reason of being able to wash your car on a Sunday and not be judged for it. You know, unless, unless that little trickle of water ran out the, the bottom of the door and then that really raised questions in the community about, ooh, what's going on in the garage, you know? So that was a big thing. Um, I remember hearing that it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a moment to ruin it. And I lived by that statement. Um, I was afraid of ruining my reputation and thus bringing shame on my parents. So I felt like I needed to do the right things, not because the wrong things somehow would separate me from God or wrong things were just wrong. I had to do the right things because of how it made my parents look. Now, please understand that's a lot on myself. That's my perception, and I don't think that was directly from my parents. Um, One man who had a major impact on my spiritual life growing up, his name was Joel Bunt. Uh, He was my math teacher throughout all four years of high school. He was my Sunday school teacher throughout all of high school. Uh, He taught a Bible study to a bunch of youth um, in the area, so we met every Sunday night. So he, he taught me a lot about what it looks to study the Bible, but he also taught me a lot about what it looks like to be a Christian in a public school, because he really cared about who I was more than just what I did. Um, But at the time, as you can kind of tell with how things looked in Orange City, I really struggled with legalism and what legalism is within Christianity. So for me to do devotions, I did devotions because I was expected to do it. So you have to spend 20 minutes a day doing your devotions and reading the Bible. So I did that because it was expected. So it was really difficult for me to separate, and even still is to this day, knowing where are my motivations to doing things. Am I doing my devotions because I want to get to know Jesus and, and really know him? Or am I doing them because I'm expected to do it? Because that's part of being a Christian. Another early influence on me was the Okoboji Bible Conference. Has anyone heard of that? All right. So... Um, Ironically enough, the people that I got to know some really great friends at the Okoboji Bible Conference, and what this is is basically a summer Bible camp for families. Um, 
like I said, I got to know a lot of good friends, and a lot of them were actually from Wisconsin. Um, there was a family that they went to Appleton Alliance, uh, several families from there. Um, but one of the things I remember is that these kids would talk about what it meant to live for Jesus on a daily basis. So they talked about what it meant at their high schools, where they were the minority rather than the norm. And that was really intriguing to me because for us, we didn't have to talk about our faith because everyone believed the same thing. So why would you talk about it? That kind of thing. Um, So I I saw these kids and it just really impacted me um, because I just feel like growing up, it was just too easy to skate along, to kind of fit in, you know. There's the, the gray area in the middle where everyone kind of sits most of the time. Well, that's where I, I was sitting a lot. Oh, man. So in high school, early, early high school and late junior high, um, I started to struggle with pornography. Um, so it started pretty simple. Uh, we didn't have the Internet yet. So that meant riding bike uptown and looking at some magazines at stores and, and whatnot, or sneaking something, some magazine somewhere or whatever, but it seemed pretty innocent at the time. And then we got the internet. And uh, then it got different a little bit. Um, so all throughout high school, I struggled with it on my own. I hid it from everyone I knew. Because like I said, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a moment to ruin it. Um, eventually my parents found out, they caught me, so I lied to them, they caught me again, and then I had to go talk to my youth pastor, ooh, right? So I went and talked to my youth pastor, and you know, we had a good cry, I thought, okay, now it's out in the open, people know the struggle that I have, or at least a few people know, so now it's going to end, it didn't end, and I was ticked off, and I was mad, um... I thought I was dirty. Um, you know, I, I just continued to struggle and, and ask, kept asking of God, why aren't you taking this away from me? Why can't you take away this urge for pornography? And then my other question was, okay, so my youth pastor knew it, my parents knew it, but after that, they never really checked up on me again. They never came back to say, hey, how's this struggle going? It wasn't an ongoing battle that I could do together with them. So again, once again, I was still asking myself, why am I so dirty? What would this look like in the future? How is it going to affect my future? So what I ended up doing was we'd go to the Okabaji Bible Conference, we'd go to different youth events where I was the good Christian and doing the right things, and I would rededicate my life to Christ all these times, thinking, okay, each time I do this, God's going to take this awful, awful sin away from me. And then still, of course, wondering what happens if people find out. So once again, like I said, I hated myself, and I was mad at God because he wouldn't take it away. So then on top of that, home was pretty rough. Um, I am the third of four kids, the fourth being Amy over here, my sister Amy. She was fourth. My older brothers at this time when I was in high school were gone to college. Um, I was what I considered the black sheep of the family. You had my older brother, Jeff, who was going to be a doctor and a missionary doctor at that. You had Paul, who was um, wonderful and perfect in every way. Um, 
And I say that jokingly, but he really is good at everything he does. Um, and he is a federal agent. And then there's me. I'm going to be a teacher, you know, and, uh, which is a good thing, I think. And, um, but at the time, like, I tell my students this, and they'll laugh at me, and, oh, you have a, a doctor and a federal agent, and you're a teacher, you know. But I really strongly feel that God called me to be a teacher. Um, but like I said, um, high school was rough. On the outside, everything looks great. Um, I didn't get along well with my parents, especially my dad. We fought a lot. I looked forward to the days that he was gone on business because that meant a night where I didn't have to fight with him. And I was looking forward to that. He didn't hurt me physically, but I was hurt emotionally. Um, like I said, I felt like the black sheep. I couldn't do anything right. He didn't trust me. My parents didn't trust me, and they told me that. They said flat out, we don't trust you. And that was really hard for me. Um, and I think that a big part of that mistrust, I was a very social person. Um, I was out with friends a lot. Um, we hung out. We grilled steaks and watched movies. Um, I had really good friends. And none of my friends ever pushed me to do, quote-unquote, the bad things that normal high schoolers do. So my question kept being for my parents, why don't you trust me? And I even said to them, if you don't want to trust me, I can give you reasons to not trust me. But I don't know what those are. So that was high school, a struggle. Then came college. So I went to Northwestern College of Orange City, Iowa. It's a small Christian liberal arts college in my hometown. Everything looks nice. The, the tulips are well manicured. In case you didn't know, if you pick a tulip, you get a $100 fine. Like, it, this is serious. So you don't pick tulips unless you're a college student and you're out at 2 in the morning and sneak them because it's the cool thing to do. So at first when I was at Northwestern, I hated it. I was in my hometown. Everything was the same. Um, I felt alone. And on top of that, um, I was still struggling with pornography. So I would go to the Psalms. I had two outlets. The Psalms, I would go to there where David would cry out to God and he'd say, God, where are you and why have you forsaken me? When are you coming back? Crush these people that are, that are hurting me. Um, and so that would be one of my things. And the other thing was I'd go sit in the music building and I'd play piano or to my tuba. Although piano sounds better when you're hurting than tuba. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that's how I would deal with it. But I was alone. Like I said, I was still struggling with pornography. Um, and that was still a fight. I felt terrible about who I was. And then over Christmas break, my freshman year, I went to a movie with a good high school friend. His name was Dan Taylor. And Dan Taylor was one of these guys that I held up on a pedestal as this amazing Christian guy. Um, and in case you're wondering, we went to Gladiator, the movie Gladiator. Great movie. So anyways, after the movie, we went and sat at Perkins, because they're open forever. And um, we went and sat at Perkins, and um, my heart was too full of crud. And finally, I shared with him. Um, and I shared that struggle with pornography with him. And he replied with this. He said, Derek, I struggle with it too. And that killed me. It, it just shook me. So my question then to him was, if we've both been struggling in this area for so long, and we've been friends for this long, 
Why are we struggling alone? I'm alone. You're alone. We're all alone. Oh, thanks, Marilyn. (laughs) So we went to Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10, where it says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And that verse meant a lot. So after I shared with Dan, then I shared with another good friend, Tom, found out he struggles with the same thing. Now, Tom was my best friend from the, from the time I was born. We lived next door, found out he was struggling with the same thing. Then I shared it with some guys in our college Bible study that we met weekly to find out they all struggled with the same thing, but we'd all been hiding it. And here we are doing this alone. So after I shared it with all those guys, for some reason, by the grace of God, the hold of pornography seemed to just kind of go away. Now I want you to know, it comes back. And Satan has a way of pushing different things. I'm watching TV, I'm watching the Super Bowl, I'm watching whatever it is, or looking on the internet, and man, he points something right at me when I'm feeling weak. And it's tough. But overall, that power that once had a huge hold on my life was gone. Sometimes bringing that junk out into the light changes things. <sighs> okay. So then in college, I met Aaron. So Aaron and I, I want you to know, we met our first class. Well, we actually met before our first class because we were in the music building auditioning for our, our band and choir groups. So we met. We had our first class together freshman year at 7.45 in the morning. Music theory. And actually, I think you sat right next to me, didn't you? Of course, I was the only guy in the class, so. <laughs> My odds were pretty good, but. Uh, yeah, so we met, and um, we got to know each other really well over the next four years. We actually really didn't start dating until our senior year, but we were be- really good friends, um, especially through music classes. We got married in 2003, uh, and then we moved to Chicago and taught at a Christian school. Um, he called us there, God called us there, and we really enjoyed Chicago. We loved Chicago. Um, however, at the end of my second year of teaching there, I was informed that they would not be renewing my contract for the following year. And I called Erin on the phone because she was at a different school than I was that, that day, and I said, I've just been fired from my first teaching job. So I'm going to make a long story short and say that a lot of things took place in the next couple months. Some were good. uh, Some were really, really difficult. Eventually, they did offer me my contract back and said, we'd like you to come back. Um, And I declined. I said, no, thank you. Um, I had been hurt. It was really tough. And I was hurt deeply by some people who were supposed to be representing Jesus um, and the church. I want you to know I don't hold ill will towards them. I have forgiven them. Um, But the situation really helped me to realize my calling to a public school. That's nothing against Christian schools whatsoever. But for me, I am called to a public school. And I am glad to be there. So after that, we moved to Iowa. Back out to Northwest Iowa, to Sioux Center, Iowa. That's my high school rival school. 
And like most small towns, when you come into a small town and you're not from there, even though I was from 12 miles down the road, we were seen as outsiders. So of course we went to the outsider church, which wasn't Reformed or Christian Reformed. It was Evangelical Free. But I tell you what, that church was the best thing for us because we had a whole bunch of misfits there, and I loved it. Um, However, um, we found out later that we were pregnant with Jace, and Jace, liking to be early all the time, decided he was going to be born at 24 weeks. Now, I don't know if all of you know this part of our story. This has been a major impact on us and why we do foster care today, but um, he was born at 24 weeks, 16 weeks early. He was one pound, 12 ounces, so he was little. And once again, the questions came into my mind. So if our main goal in life is to have a family and to have children, why can't we do it normally? Why is this happening to us? Most of our friends and family at the time were having normal pregnancies. They'd get pregnant when they wanted to and how they wanted to. And then they'd go to the hospital at nine weeks. The baby would come out nice and healthy. Not for us. For the next 17 weeks, we spent it every, mo- every waking moment we could at, um, at the hospital in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where Jace was born. Now, I want you to know that's an hour and 20 minutes from the, my driveway to the parking garage in Sioux Falls because I drove that many, many times. So we spent it there for six weeks of his life from pretty much touch and go. We didn't know if he'd live or die uh, from one moment to the next. Once again, though, we're at a hospital away from family and friends, alone. People came and visited, but it was hard. Um, we had some great nurses, great people around us, but we still felt alone. Um, as you can see with Jace, God has been gracious, and he is fine and healthy today. Yeah. So then, two years later, we're pregnant again with Micah. This time, we go to the doctor for a checkup and an ultrasound at 22 weeks, and Erin gets admitted to the hospitals because she's in labor at 22 weeks. So she was admitted, and here we go again, this time with a little two-year-old at home. <sighs> so this time, though, Erin spent the next nine weeks on bed rest in that hospital an hour and 20 minutes away. Um, and uh, God kept her from having Micah for until 31 weeks. So Micah was born at 31 weeks. This time he was a little lazy. He didn't want to eat or grow. And so we spent the next, what, 10 weeks or so in the hospital with him. But once again, alone and isolated at the hospital, trying to drive back and forth, be there for Micah, who's in the NICU, and be there for Jace, who's only two years old. I remember at the time saying to Aaron, my eyes hurt, and I don't know why, until one day I figured out. I was tired. That was it. I was tired and, and, and tired of it. Once again, God was still good. Even though we were angry with him and didn't understand his plan. 
In this, Matthew eleven twenty eight was big for us. Come to me, all you who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, so that was Sioux Center. We lived there for five years. At the end of four years, at, for, for the first four years, we wanted to get out of there. We didn't feel like it was home. We wanted to move. So I was looking for jobs here in Wisconsin the whole time because Aaron is from down the road in Wapan. The fifth year, we finally were like, okay, God has us here. He's got a reason for it. We don't know what it is, but God has us here for a reason. And about the time, the fifth year, we settled and rested and had a good, good, uh, good year. And then Sheboygan Falls job came available. I applied. They offered me to the job. And here we are in Sheboygan area. So we moved to Sheboygan and everything has been roses. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It hasn't. I do have to say we love it here. But it's not always easy. The closest family that we've had until just recently when Amy moved here uh, was an hour away. So it, we have had to establish our own family here. Um, it has been lonely. We've felt isolated. Uh, and I want you to know that being in church leadership isn't always easy. It is difficult. Sometimes I think that we assume that those in leadership have it together. And that they're always busy with people, with others. And that we have all kinds of friends and all that kind of stuff, which we do. But the truth is that we feel like we always have to be on. And that's tiring. And it's lonely. I want you to know that through all the pain and struggle over the years, I have learned that in the words of Bill Kerwin, he said this just last week, and I've heard him say it many times, it is better to be where God is than anywhere else. In every trying situation, we came to a point where we had to accept what God was doing and have faith that he was in complete control, even when we want to control it. And now here we are, Arise Church, in a time of transition, and this, there seems to be more questions than answers. And this is when we have to surrender control, even when we don't want to and even when it's difficult wrong way. So, the worship team is going to come up, and they're going to get ready to sing Give Me Jesus again. We're going to sing that together again. So come on up, worship team. But I have some questions for us to consider. Am I lonely? Are you lonely? I think if I went around the room and I said, you don't have to do this, but if I asked you to raise your hands if you're lonely, I bet the majority of us in here would say, yes, we are lonely. We did that at home group one time, and it was staggering to see how many people are lonely. How lonely are you? I am lonely. I am a church leader. I come from an all-American family that's supposed to have it all together, and I'm lonely. I've dealt with it my entire life. Once again, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. So here at Arise Church, let's face our pains and our loneliness and our struggles, and let's do that together. Will you do that with me?